Hey listeners, this is Loam editor Kailea Frederick. Thanks for tuning into Loam Listen with Emilio Freeman. To continue supporting us and showing up as an independent publishing and media company, we are asking for your support. If you enjoy our audio or publishing offerings, please consider visiting our Patreon where you can become a Loam member. For as little as $4 a month, you will receive a monthly curated missive that includes early access to all our publications and products, along with first calls for submissions and other small gifts. Find us at patreon.com slash loamlove. I hope you enjoyed this episode. These identities have allowed me to experience my personhood and, and my spirit in the broadest reaches I think it's possible to embody. And to me, that is like living as universe, living as divine, living as all. Hi, Loam listeners. I'm Amirio Freeman, and you're listening to Loam Listen your home for playful, juicy conversations on how we can reimagine the ways we live and relate to each other to survive and thrive within and beyond this moment. Every episode, join me and heartful, spirit-forward guests to learn how we can create the loamy soil from which new worlds can bloom. All season long, we're exploring all things birth. At the top of this episode, you heard from guest Rochelle Faithful. Rochelle, they, them, is a Black, trans, Southern, multidisciplinary, multidimensional folk healer, cultural worker, strategist, and creative rooted in Washington, D.C., also known as Piscataway Ancestral Lands and Chocolate City. Throughout the course of the pandemic, one crucial lesson has been that nothing is immutable. The governmental structures that shape our lives are not unchangeable. How we show up in our relationships to capitalism and to rest is always subject to evolution. As I explore with Rochelle, even we as individuals are always on the cusp of personal metamorphosis, forever able to remake ourselves. In the words of Octavia Butler, change is the one unavoidable, irresistible, ongoing reality of the universe. In this episode, Rochelle and I unravel what it means to birth new selves, chatting through everything from the importance of providing spaciousness for multiplicity to the risk involved in, in Rochelle's words, living as universe. Let's dive in. Hi, Rochelle. How are you? Welcome to Loam Listen. What's going on? Thank you. It's so good to be here. I am such a fan. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a year. Um, but I'm I'm continue to be just really grateful for so many things, including an opportunity to reconnect with you. So I know. I feel like this is so much more than just like an interview. Like it's honestly just like our chance to reconnect like it's honestly been a minute since like we've really talked and like seen each other in person like I want to say like going on two years at this point so this feels like so special and like such a reunion 
Um, and there's honestly like no one I'd rather talk to on this topic. And um, you mentioned like the year and a half that we've all had. And I think for me, something that's been so interesting is that I think so many of us as we reemerge and kind of come out of like um, this like proper hibernation period have really sort of notice how like we're changing like either physically I have so many friends who are joyously just being like I've gained weight and my body's changing and like I don't really give a fuck and I kind of love it um and so many friends who are sort of like holy shit like just belief systems wise and values wise I feel like such a completely different person and it's been like so lovely and just like amazing and enthralling to see people really reclaim the idea that like who we are doesn't have to ever be set in stone but we can always sit in this space of constantly evolving and um the theme of the show like constantly birthing ourselves and like we're expansive we're mutable there's always that spaciousness for um becoming a new self over and over and over again and I think I'm a little biased as like a Scorpio and a water sign. I'm obsessed with this idea of like constantly like dying, rebirthing. Um, but I think it's such an interesting like process that so many of us have been sitting with. And I'm so excited to like break down this idea with you because you have worn and currently wear so many hats. And I feel like you're someone who sits so comfortably within this space of constantly birthing new selves. So just thank you so much for being on the podcast and like agreeing to, I don't know, tackle this with me. You're really kind, especially from a solid earth sign. It means a lot to think about that. I, you know, um, no, we too transform and change and grow and adapt. And I think what was true for me this last year and a half as I've known and have experienced different changes and transformation in, in my life of 36 years, like, like we all have, I think this past year and a half offered an, an opportunity to really move into a shape and versions of myself that I had been longing for for much longer though. I felt almost forced into some decision-making about whether I'm going to finally make these changes, take these risks, be rigorous and focused to really just allow myself to be more in, in my dreams. And I love that version of how the pandemic has shaped me and all the other crises that we're undergoing. I've also seen that be true with other people. And I like to think that's as true as everything we else, you know, everything else we know about all the various collapses and crises and the, you know, heartbreaking hardship that comes through a birthing process. So thank you for helping me and us hold both and all of it. I'm so excited that this just feels like the perfect um, framing for this conversation. And, but before we really just like get to it, um, I just wanna let the audience know who you are. So Rochelle, who are you and what do you do? Whatever that means to you. This is actually a harder question than it tends to be for the exact reasons for having this conversation. 
I'm, I'm undergoing a kind of vocational transformation. So some things that feel constant for me is that I feel quite connected to a purpose that is about what I call love politic, which is a belief that there is both a force we call love and cumulatively across all the dimensions, so much love that it can and, and will and is transforming everything else that there is. And that is called me to be in the world and, and present in different ways over time. But that does seem like a persistent truth for me in ways that are both challenging and ways that are constantly inspiring. So one of the more recent manifestations is myself as a traditional healer. I was so fortunate to be initiated into the shamanic path at this point, maybe seven years ago. And I root myself in the US diasporic tradition, African diasporic tradition of conjure, uh, the Southern tradition of conjure. So in that case, I'm, I play a role as a spiritual worker, spiritual doctor, some people call me. Uh, I'm a death doula. I am a person who just wants to witness and is privileged to witness so many people on their own life paths and sometimes even beyond. So that is a role and a vocation that's important to me that I suspect will continue to change over time. I also identify as someone who is a strategist. I started out vocationally as an organizer. I wasn't that great of an organizer, it was okay. But I found that, so first, a lot of respect for those of you organizing out there. It is a particular kind of craft. For me, what was important is really being in the space of thinking deeply, intentionally, critically about which opportunities we had and how we can enter into those possibilities. So that's something I still hold with me in different movement spaces I'm a part of, even if I'm showing up, maybe especially as I'm showing up as a culture worker. More recently, I've been identifying as a culture worker. And for me, that is the space where I am just asking us how we are showing up collectively, like for the collective. And what does that create amongst us? So I, I made up this term as I often do when I just am not aware of other words or language that exist. And I, I think, you know, Amiria, you and others, you know, we, that's just what we do. So I, I, I use this term healing culture to just describe like what I'm approaching. And for me that, that is describing this intention toward healing that we are carrying together in trying to shape our relationships together. So in that way, um, I, I facilitate, sometimes I say I facilitate complex con conversations. I'm a conflict worker. 
I'm also a person who's brought into spaces to also help groups birth their culture around healing. So that is an identity that's important to me at the moment. And the last thing I'll offer is I'm a creative. I'm a person that I'm deeply introverted and I feel compelled at different points in my life to, well, always to be creating, but compelled at different points in my life as well to share those creations. And usually it has some sort of medicine that is for me, but I also know for others. So I've done uh, performance art, including some theater. I've done um, a lot of writing, as you know, a little bit about. Uh, I've been able to do even some really fun things like comedy with friends. Friends make things fun, <laughs> even things you don't think of yourself as doing sometimes. So um, I do see myself as a creative and I'm part of what the transformation for me now is actually coming back to that part of myself more robustly and identifying as a writer and being in the rhythm and practice of a writer um, more than I have been. So that's a little bit about me. Oh, and can I just say, like, you've also done drag, and I haven't seen it yet in person, but I do think there are, like, recordings and videos, so if anyone follows you, those might be out there. It's, like, see and peruse and enjoy. Um, but no, I didn't know you did comedy. I'm honestly, like, a little shocked, but honestly, like, so, like, ooh, I love this. I did not know this. So I want to, like, circle back post this conversation. I want to hear honestly so much more about that but thank you so much for sharing and I think what's so striking for me is that you've embraced again just like waiting in this like space of evolving and constantly um showing up to different parts of yourself all in service of as you phrase it a love politic or engaging and creating these healing cultures and I think I kind of want to start there. And you mentioned that throughout the course of this pandemic, you've really had to um, sit at a crossroad and sort of say, how can I show up to this mission even more in a more rigorous, um, fully integrated, fully embodied way? Um, and thinking about what a gift that is to sort of give yourself that permission, especially within a nation, within a society where giving yourself that permission is so difficult and hard because we've been indoctrinated by all these like systems and philosophies, you know, from anti-blackness to a really rigid uh, gender binary that kind of makes that permission giving not impossible, but really, really hard. And almost as if you don't even realize that like it's an option. Um, and I've been thinking so much about um, a phrase that comes from Alexis Pauling Gums, and she talks a lot about this idea that in order for us to get free and to give ourselves that permission, we have to do sort of this work of a quote, species level betrayal of our founding mythologies. And those can be by supremacy, patriarchy, all of these things. And I'm thinking about how so many of us, you know, through that indoctrination process from birth, have. Um, haven't really been able to like betray those mythologies yet. And I kind of want to know a little bit more about your personal journey with saying these founding mythologies don't work for anymore. So I'm going to portray them 
to get to this place where I can fully show up for this love politic, where I can fully show up for creating and establishing these healing cultures. Like, how did you give yourself that permission? And what were some of those, like, founding mythologies that you really had to sit with and, like, be like, deuces, like, I'm betraying the fuck out of you and moving on to get to a space of um, more lusciousness and joy and freedom. Um, yeah, I want to hear more about that journey. Thank you for this question. What a gorgeous question. And and always thank you to Dr. Lex, whose work blesses us all every day. If I had to reflect on it, I think in many ways I knew early in my life that I was already being betrayed by these mythologies. For me, I grew up in a suburban community, maybe 40 minutes outside of DC. It was mostly white, though, though changing when I was growing up. Pretty affluent, very evangelical. And my family and myself, we weren't necessarily any of those things. Uh, we were um, black and even though my parents embodied very different forms of blackness, like we were very clear about uh, our identity in that sense, though my racial consciousness grew later in life even more. I think a politic grew later in life. We were not affluent, we weren't comfortable for a variety of reasons, though I was able to enjoy the privilege and absorb the privilege of that around me, um, which is still an important thing for me to be aware of and leverage. We were not evangelical. <laughs> we were not a very, um, we weren't a Christian family. We weren't particularly religious family. And, you know, that's layered on top of the fact I was really aware of some of my just uh, expansiveness around gender early on. I was always gender nonconforming. And I had a sense of the world, uh, even when I was young, intuitively, intellectually. And I understood that I was not legible most of the time to most people. So I had to make sense of that pretty early on. And in some ways, like many people, I internalized some things. Um, I think especially in terms of being a black body among many white bodies or bodies that were maybe not perceived as white, but we're trying to assimilate that in that sense, I betrayed myself early on in understanding that or believing that there was some wrongness connected to my body and, and what my body apparently represented. And in some cases, especially around religion, religious identity, and even just worldview, 
I, I was almost like violently rejected the sense of binary that existed, right? You were good or bad, you're going to heaven or hell. You were always sinning, apparently, always sinning. Um, and if you didn't understand this one historical figure, which was their religious figure, to be your Lord and Savior, <laughs> that that you were cast to damnation. I I understood early on that that was not. It didn't make sense in in my own spirit, and it it hurt. And I didn't understand why there was so much fidelity to this kind of suffering. And I think perhaps for me, that was like the catalyst that allowed me to just be really critical of the indoctrination around me and to ask why and to hear these answers that were rote or hollow or just felt as sterile as the environment around me. Um, they just didn't feel right. So over time, even by the time I went to college, which for me was about 18, I had burned a lot of things down in my, in my life. I mean, I, I, I played this role where, and this is probably how some people still perceive me, of both outsider and insider. So I was this person that um, I think people were very confused about because there was praise around how I was able to perform. I was a good student, I was a good athlete. I did all the things. And at the same time, I founded a philosophy club because I wanted us to think more critically and to think better. I was part of a very small vocal anti-war contingent in high school. Uh, and many of us overlapped with the Gay Straight Alliance that we co-founded and parents were distraught over for a year and a half. Um, and I think that's carried with me that it was less important for me to belong and it was more important for me to understand why I was excluded. And then, because I, I found a sacred and vital place where I was. I was able to do that and it was nice to find others, but it wasn't necessary. I'm not sure why that is, but altogether I didn't want to just have to live with the incompleteness that I felt. That, that wasn't satisfying, it, it didn't give me anything. It felt a waste of a life, frankly. So I, I just, I think I'm a person that just continues to ask more questions and allowed myself to be led by those questions so that this life feels even more full and precious and real. And that's how I've navigated, I think, 
the betrayal across these systems, that those set of truths felt more important to me and more compelling to me than belonging or being legible. And maybe it's because there are things I was never afforded, but just, it's like, who cares? <laughs> who cares? No, thank you for all of that. And as like a fellow black person who also grew up like partially and spending time with my dad um, in the suburbs and just having to, um, I don't know, do this like trapeze act, this sort of like trying to like, um, I don't know, find my place in like certain communities, um, mostly out of survival, right? But then also having like this very intuitive feeling of to your, using your language, feeling that that was incomplete if I was like fully bought into what the environment around me was telling me was normative and the way to be and the way to like survive and the way to live and be human. Um, so you're just like, you're speaking to me and I think to so many of us. So just thank you for sharing that. And you touched on just, you know, being black and you touched on having an expansive idea of gender. And I'm wondering if those, um, parts of yourself were somehow technologies that almost serve as like life, um, uh, life loads that you could um, use to sort of get to a place of saying, I'm going to betray again these founding mythologies because I feel that sense of incompleteness. And these are like bridges to like imagining something more and something better because I often think about how as Black people, like there's always been this sense of us being parahuman. Like we haven't always been allowed to occupy fully this place of being human and I guess human with like a capital H um, within this imagination of like a white supremacist um, idea of what it means to be human, what it means to be a person. And with queerness, there's always been, um, I don't know, sort of this idea that queerness, you know, I'm thinking of like ocean boxing, queerness being all about um, deficiency, it's all about monstrosity, but it also can act as a portal. It allows us to say what is outside of like straightness, what is outside of these normative ideas that we've been sold as being the only way, or at least the most moral, the most good, the most benevolent way. Um, so I always think of like blackness and queerness as like being these opportunities to really say, in the words of Jose Esteban Nunez, a really incredible queer theorist, that the present is not enough and there's so much more on the horizon. Um, yeah, I'm wondering how those parts of your identities, did they feel as though they were technologies or tools that you could use to say, I'm gonna like go on this journey to like be in that space of being imaginative, be in that space of world making and world building um, so I can be my most complete, authentic, full, expansive, ever evolving self. That's so beautiful. Yes. And I'd actually like to read an excerpt from a piece I wrote, which I think is the closest thing I've been able to, to articulate around this. Uh, but I so appreciate your intuition around like these 
really important identities for me have been portals to be in the beyond and to embrace that liminal. And, and, and yeah, to be beyond identity and of it as well. So it's such a gift to be a black queer person. I'll just start there, black trans queer person. And I'm one of the proud contributors of the Black Trans Prayer Book, which was a work that was published last year. And I'm not sure I shared with you, it, it won a Lambda Literary Award this year as well. Yeah, I'm so excited for us. Congratulations to you and the team that that together. That's so incredible. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, it's Labor of Love. Um, by uh, Jay Mace and Lady Dane. And so I'll you know, encourage folks to find that work because I'm one of many, I think like 20 fabulous contributors, but I wanna share you all a piece, not the whole piece, it's a longer piece, but it's an excerpt of my black soul absorbs every shade of being. And this is the Introduction. When I breathe, I celebrate my darkness as if it were life itself. Each pass of air around the curves of my full lips and dark-skinned mouth is a joyous occasion worthy of comets blazing across the sky. My darkness, much like the darkness of space, is the fervor of soul jubilee a bright passion of all of Earth's experiences packed into an unseeable tiny organism which scats D and N and A. A kinetic explosion by millions of particles that brag about the histories of gospel and blues and funk and rock and roll in their scattered release. A wild ecstatic dance containing secrets of dawn and dusk in its curious beating swirl. My breath reminds me that my skin possesses a path to paradise. And as each dark person revels in the pleasure of their presence, we are imbued with the truth that we are in fact the presence of everything. So for me, these identities have allowed me to experience my personhood and, and my spirit in the kind of broadest reaches I think it's possible to embody. And to me, that is like living as universe, living as divine, living as all. And I know it's possible through many different experiences and histories and places, um, but I'm so grateful that these identities and this body <laughs> and um, everything else connected to my Blackness and queerness have, have just made that entry point into existing that much easier. And it feels so important to speak to that because I know that the world often doesn't see us that way. Um, but my truth is that 
I can see myself as all and everything because of these identities. just want to take a moment to like sit with this idea of living as universe because holy fuck like what a living as universe I'm one thing I'm thinking about um because in that excerpt you read you mentioned rock and roll and I know you have such a deep love for um black rock musicians and artists and that's like a love that I think I've been cultivating more and more and I think it's like so amazing and such a gift to like live in a time where um, we have such a robust archive of black people especially within like the rock music universe who like so fully embody this idea of like living as universe and like one person that I've been so just like in awe of and like viewing as a blueprint is like someone like Tina Turner I just watch their incredible documentary and just like seeing the expansiveness of their life and again birthing themselves over and over um to truly live and be and live as universe i'm just thinking about how so lucky we are to have these incredible models and blueprints of what that means um and how lucky it is that get to embody that and hopefully have the luxury and um, the opportunity to like live as universe ourselves and hopefully be a model and a blueprint for someone else coming up behind us and situating ourselves within like this longer arc. Um, And I don't want this idea of like living as universe, burdening yourself to get lost or like feel abstract or intangible. So I just want to take a step back and ask you like a really foundational question. Like, what does that mean for you when we talk about this idea of birthing yourself, when we talk about this idea of living as universe, what does that really mean for you in the most fundamental of ways? Thank you for grounding us. <laughs> Sometimes I, I, I live in poetry and speak in poetry and it's, it's a nice place to be. Um, And I also appreciate the pragmatics of it. What does that actually mean? So I think for me, that has been about being in deep relationship with risk. So I'll start just with the acknowledgement that there's some many things that I get to enjoy that make risk seem less perilous, right? I am middle-class person. I've had access to different important material things. Um, I speak a certain way. I look a certain way. Um, I'm able, my body's able to do most things that I want it to do beyond that. And even with those particular advantages that I I have enjoyed, I 
there have been so many times in my life where when I feel that incompleteness that we talked about before, I've just had a choice point, what we call crossroads in hoodoo, as you know. And there are always more than two choices in, in the world that I live in. And I know that just from experience of finding other paths um, or coming across a number, another path in one way or the other. But at that choice point, I've had to be honest about what can I let go of? And the answer is, turns out to be a lot. I can let go of a lot and still be in my essence, be true to myself and feel deeply connected to something beyond myself, which I call spirit. So that's meant I've left careers that I thought I was going to be on, careers that I've studied for and <laughs> invested a lot of debt into. <laughs> uh, shout out to all my lawyer friends out there. I have left relationships that were important to me at one time. I have left a sense of security that comes with having a, a particular life. And that was one of my recognitions when I finally had language to describe my queerness early in life. I was like, oh, my life's not gonna be the same. I grieved probably for a day and then I was able to let it go. And letting go to me isn't about uh, some idea that like something's exiled from me and it's no longer a part of my memory or more part of what I experienced or part of even what I learned. Letting go for me is just staring at the risk and being like, I can live through it and I'll be changed because of it. And that experience of change, it's worth it. And I think once you've done that once, for me, it gets a little bit easier every time. And it shifts from I'm negotiating with risk to I'm just going to say yes to myself. And I know I'm not only saying yes to myself, but I'm saying yes to our collective well-being and changing how we do things, right? Because there has to be a different way of being for us to undergo this whole paradigm shift. I'm saying yes to the ecology and the beyond human kin so that we can exist and transcend together. I'm saying yes to the ancestors and the many things they lived through so we don't have to and, and can do better. I'm saying yes to things I don't even yet know, but I just have to say yes to stay in that expansion, right? So yeah, that showed up in big ways and small ways. It can be an everyday practice of just like, 
yes, I need to rest. Yes, I need to tell this person I love a really hard thing. Yes, I need to try something, just do it and <laughs> enjoy the experience of it just because I want to live that way. It's yes to all the comforts that everyone should have. And I think we all should enjoy. And sometimes it's, it's yes to making a titanic level change in, in one's life so that you can feel that sense of alignment. Um, and for me that right now, that's like saying no to a lot of people I want to be in relationship with and work with so that I can create this space to create and do more writing. And it's, it's been slow. It's been nonlinear. I've made some choices that are putting me closer to that place though. And I, as I get older and get in a better practice of saying both no and yes, it helps me understand that it is both are necessary to allow me to shape shift. And that shape shifting is already in service to me and others. Um, in the performance art play that I performed a few years ago, there were two main characters. The nameless character that I played, but the other character was called True. And that was our name for spirit, but it was just like, we're just in relationship with True. And that is what I've tried to do more and more every day. And yeah, small ways and big ways, but I just want to be true. Uh, Rochelle, I'm honestly losing my mind. I'm just like on the verge of like tears. I think just as someone sort of like in their mid twenties, which I think is such a critical, weird, messy time. And like, you're literally going through everything you just described. It's kind of like, okay, I'm old enough to like make my own decisions and fully stake a claim and like the path that I want to go down. But it's so hard because you're kind of like, I'm embarking on a journey that's kind of the, uh, uh, embrace so much risk. And I can either fully lean into that and fully say yes to myself or again, circling back, be caught up in like these founding mythologies and just sort of be like, this is a comfortable space and I'm just going to like write it out. So you're just like fully speaking to my heart right now. And I just, you mentioned grieving and I just want to like really sit with that idea because it seems like we're kind of mapping something out where there's risk, which leads to the opportunity for birth. But complementary to that, there's this inherent idea that, well, if something's being birthed, um, maybe something's also dying. If you're saying yes to yourself and saying yes to certain possibilities of your life and certain possibilities of being in a relationship, there maybe is like a foreclosing on the other side of that, right? 
Um, so I want to know for you, how have you been using grieving when it comes to letting certain versions of your life go and die when it comes to letting certain relationships go and die? How have you like ritualized or used like grieving and mourning to sort of be okay with that and sort of be at peace? Um, I'm really curious to know what your relationships like that other side of the process um, has been like and yeah, what are those tools and technologies that you've been using to say, this is my life. I'm saying yes to myself. It's hard. It's scary. Maybe it's nonlinear and I may not have a blueprint, but this is for me. And the things I'm letting go, these are the XYZ ways that like I'm making peace with those things. I've been in a deep meditation about grief for the last couple of years, maybe two and a half years. I also had a chance to write about that in a piece called Ungrief Land and Ritual that folks can read on Medium. In a slightly different place from that piece, which is, a, I think, published about a year ago at this point. But on my, some of my reflections on my own grieving of relationships, family members, a certain way of moving in the world that I think many of us experienced through the pandemic. As well as the gift I've had to be a death doula. And I've, I got trained after I'd gone through some really important experiences where I was alongside people who were in deep contemplation around death. Uh, and these were self-inflicted deaths that they were considering. And my experience in companionship with them and my experiences of grief afterward have imprinted on me the sense of what is really lost. And it seems like a simple question, but I think about my sources of inspiration and strength. For me, those are ancestors. Those are trees. Um, those are my own memories as a young person. And how clear that young person was. And what these three things have in common for me in their longevity is this wisdom of whatever has touched us remains with us if we allow it to. Like many of us too, I've been rereading Octavia Butler's, all of her work and finishing Parable of the Talents, which is just a journey, right? And I, I really am feeling differently living through our own, I mean, for many of us, it's been apocalyptic, but this version of the apocalypse I am so reminded about uh, 
what we touch, we change. And we're changed by what we touch, right? And I really do believe in this sense of shape-shifting that we, we really do integrate that what we've experienced. So I've been in practices of just stillness that allow me to be in not only like cognitive memory, but in like my body's memory, the memory of the earth around me. I've been in moments of stillness that allow me moments of reflection about what I've learned and what I'm still learning from people who are no longer in this form on earth, but are still a part of me. And I'm still in conversation, even with the younger parts of me that still reside in me. So I know this can feel really abstract, but one thing I have shared with some folks in reflecting about the pandemic is that it helped me refine my own discernment about when to be still and when to move. So in grief, I learned to be still and I learned how to be still in an entirely different way. And in that stillness, I can still, you know, I can exist with the sense of loss because things are not the same. And there is just a little bit of grief that we might always carry with us. And for me, it gets absorbed when I still allow that connection to exist and live through me. Thank you for that. Definitely something that I want to like elevate and really hear from you on is this idea of memory. That's something that you touched on. And I think it's so powerful that you mentioned like some of your best teachers and guides in this work um being like you know your younger self you mentioned how like clear that person was and it feels like this process of like birthing yourself does feel like sort of like a circular coming back to yourself a circular remembering where I was kind of like oh maybe I've always known what I know now but somewhere along the way um in like this weird kind of fucked up world I lost that and now I'm retracing my steps and getting back there and you mentioned like our more than human can also be guides for you and um how that's just like bring up for me that that knowledge with them has always been there and it's still currently there and I think so many of us are fully coming back to um just like plant epistemology and like animal epistemologies and how powerful those are for like becoming better at being human in like this weird almost counterintuitive way um so like I'm so interested in hearing from you on 
this relationship between birthing yourself and memory. And I also want to throw in how all that kind of triangulates and relates back to this idea of healing. Because I think within birthing yourself, there is a healing that takes place because you are remembering who you are, you are recovering um, these different parts of yourself. And that goes back to this idea, like this very Afro-diasporic idea that like um, healing is very much tied to like a sense of wholeness. And to get to that wholeness, like a reclamation, a remembering of some sort has to take place. Um, and within all that, I think that's such a huge part of your work as someone who is dealing with um, healing cultures and healing justice, especially um, as someone who you mentioned is like within like this hoodoo, like aphrodisphoric conjure lineage. Um, and that's like the lineage that um, is really built on like memory because none of that is like really archived or documented. And like, I'm so grateful for the work of you and so many others who are doing that remembering to get us back to birthing ourselves and getting us back to wholeness and getting us back to all these things are like interconnected and like triangulating somehow um so such a messy delivery on my part but I want to know like within that triangulation um with remembering healing and uh, birthing yourself what reflections are coming up for you I hear you they're, they're so interrelated and dynamic um in relationship to one another, it's it's hard to tease them out sometimes. It's it actually just thinks me like helps me think about how I think all of our relationship with time is being altered, um, though in very different ways depending on how we started. I think for me, part of that expansiveness that we talked about at the beginning of the conversation. It's about how we can embody at the same time the past, which is the I remember part, the current or present, which is the I exist part, I am part, and then the future, which for me is like an I look part, I seek. And I think for me, the challenge of this moment as someone who does feel like the energies of, of all things is trying to exist at all three of those different points in time at once. And I think for so many of us, we get over, like many of us for good reason can be really overwhelmed with just the I exist part, right? So many of us are surviving and I want to honor that art of surviving, which so many of us know in different ways. Uh, the world is a pretty brutal place sometimes. And I love all of the visioning that's happened, especially the last 10 years around radical imagination and the wisdom and being able to imagine and play and reach in some ways to me 
futures could have a like and we're also both Afrofuturists, right? So there's a sexiness to that too, which I celebrate about ourselves. And then there's the I remember part. And sometimes that can be really hard. Sometimes I think that's hard for me because there's so much happening. We can't remember it all. We might feel like we have access to different kinds of memory. And, you know, I am really aware that many folks of the African diaspora, where we have breaks in our memory, there can be like resentment and a hardening around that, that like we can't remember in the same ways that other people can remember. You know, I've encountered that also in my shamanic life where we're trying to um, learn about the things that were intentionally hidden or less visible and encountering problems and challenges. At the same time, remembering to me is that thrust in the cycle that you described. Like I have to remember to offer the perspective that I need for the present and to offer the possibility that a future can even exist because someone envisioned that I was here. Someone believed I could be here. Someone made choices so that we all could be here. And so that's the thrust that I need to, to keep momentum, to keep inspired, um, to, to really keep that sense of hope. And, you know, some days I'm like, my ancestors survived it, I can. Um, or if they didn't survive it, they envisioned I could. And again, for me, the gift of the ancestors, the trees, my younger self is that sense of longevity. And this also, again, helps with having an earthy, earthy disposition. It's okay to be patient and slow in that fullness of time and trusting in the fullness of time. Then another opportunity will emerge or will adapt another way or there'll be a shift that no one anticipates and we will find our way through it. And so there's that level of inspiration. I think the last thought I'll offer is just about memory as um, just so available to us and sometimes more available to us than we realize, or that's been true for me, that I have retrieved so much in memory, in my body, in story, in dreams. So I think if we can get outside this idea of memory being some sort of factual, you know, 
recitation of what occurred, like a record, um, the more we can be with what I believe a, a reality to be, which is memory is um, all the different archives that are already inside us. And I think for me, part of the mastery is learning how to dislocate that archive, right? And access and explore that archive. And for me, that, the, that path has been through conjure. It's also been through uh, eldership. It's been through conversations with nature. As you said, the plant and animal epistemologies, I love it. It's been through lying in the sun. It's been through the laughter of young people in my life. It's been through beautiful works of art that move me. So if whatever that those entry points to that archive is, I hope each person can find that and that we can collectively remember. Ooh, well, that was a word. And um, before recording, I mentioned that, um, I mentioned to Rochelle that I had a chance to catch up with one of our mutual friends and colleagues, co-conspirators, James Vidalioni. Um, and in that conversation, we were talking randomly about propagations and something about what you just said. I was kind of like, who can we look to as like one of our best exemplars for like what this can look like? And for some reason, like propagations are coming to my head in the sense that you have like this cutting, right? That's like dismembered from the original plant. Um, so within it, there's already a sense of archive. It's a new thing that's being birthed, that's leaning into fertility in and of itself. But there's still an archive of knowledge that it has to locate and somehow use and implement to become itself at the same time. And you mentioned us having to have a new relationship to time and there's something so weird about propagations where like there's this weird collapsing of time where it's like it's its own thing but still the original plan so it's like yourself but, like your parent at the same time um it's really weird and interesting and beautiful and just going back to this idea of like plant epistemologies i think there's something we all could learn from propagations especially as black folks right this is something that james mentioned how propagations are cuttings that like are in a lot of ways unrooted like we are but yet there's still like this resiliency and being able to thrive within so many new potentially unanticipated conditions um so yeah something i'm still noodling over but something that's coming to my head as far as blueprints roadmaps yes, teachers yes. that's such a good example that is such a good example but I want to end here, though, and I just want to know from you, 
when it comes to this work of birthing ourselves, um, what do we stand to gain? And we, as in ourselves, our communities, our ancestors, future generations, working human kin, um, I think I want to boil this down to the why of all this. Like, why does this work matter? Um, so for you, what do we stand to gain from doing this work? And on the complementary side, if we don't do this work, not placing a moral judgment on us taking that risk or not taking it, um, what do you think we stand to lose potentially? This ties a little bit into a healing justice archive that you and I have been a part of creating in different ways over the last three years. And I ended up entitling it, um, it's a collaborative work, I want to be clear, with a lot of good friends and with Thick Press. Um, but the title that I proposed that we ended up selecting was called Together at the End of the World on Healing Justice. And that's what I think we should be honest about, that we're on the edge of the world with ourselves right now and each other, right? And we either are going to find ways to be closer and move toward that edge, or we're gonna to move toward the edge and not be together. <laughs> And I think many of us have been feeling this for some while and the pandemic really accelerated the sense of paradigm shift. And there are a thousand different names for what's happening, but it, it is happening, right? The, the world order is changing. And I think that is how we have seen things and experienced things a certain way we can't assume anymore. And there really is a new way of being and new ways of being that are being invited through us right now. So whether we've experienced this experience being at the edge in different parts of our lives and can recognize those moments of transition and invitation, whether we've been in movement space and have seen and experienced the trajectory of those movements, um, or if we're just a plant lover, animal lover, human lover, <laughs> who've been through some changes. I see it as very matter of fact, we, in the face of transition, choose to be in relationship with it and embrace it and find a way to be with it, or we resist it, or we deny it. Sometimes it's all, the, all three of those things and more things. Um, but if we're willing to be in closer relationship to it, embrace it, with a sense of, it's not quite ease, but a sense of like, this is what things are. This is the nature of being. This is how life 
this thing called life is, then so be it. And so for me, I, I, as you said, I, it's not a matter of judgment, it's just a matter of being in honest and true relationship with, we're here at the edge and we have our choices. And what are you gonna choose? Thank you so much. And this really just feels like a prayer and such a beautiful guide for us to get to a place where, you know, borrowing and adapting your language where we can just be in a new relationship with true, sit with it, hang out with it, play spades with it, just have a whole new um, dynamic with that, with spirit. And I hope everyone listening just takes away something from this. I know I have. Um, and Rochelle, just to close this out, where can people find you and just like get in touch with like more of your brilliance and creative output in your work? Um, if they want to get in touch for like your services and collaborate and work together, um, where can people find you on the internet? And do you have any projects that you want to plug? Thank you. It is so nice to just be connected to community. I'd love hearing just from folks. I am online at rochellefaithful.com and that gives you some sense of some of my work um, in a broader sense. I do have a Facebook page, which is Faithful Folk Healer. I am on Instagram, Rochelle Faithful Folk Healer with uh, all that not one word. I had Instagram and <laughs> years ago, still barely know how to use it. I had like underscores in my name. I'm like, no one does that. <laughs> no one does that, Michelle. Uh, so I'm le learning and changing this elder millennial <laughs> in, in, in the internets. So, uh, you know, you, I don't post a lot on Instagram, but I love getting messages on Instagram and we'll always respond to people. So that's how folks can find me. And I always down to be in conversation, collaborate, um, email. You can find, you can send me a message via my website and I respond by email. So I yeah, invite folks to collaborate with me. Um, it's remarkable, but I am like booked for like a lot of new projects. I'm starting to get booked out now uh, to early next year. There's scheduling for early next year. I'm like, wow, that's where we are. But collaborations are great. Conversations are great. And um, I do have a newsletter that I'm trying to get better about sending things out to. So if you would like to stay connected in that way, there's also a new newsletter you can sign up on my website. Well, you already know how you feel about shoes. I'm just holding so much reverence and gratitude um i'm so happy we're able to be in conversation especially since your butts now so thank you for penciling me in um but no this was such a gift and a joy of a conversation and literally all i have to say is thank you so thank you so much for um co-creating this space with me thank you for having me i'm a big fan of you as you know i've been listening to the show and uh, inspired by all your guests and I'm a big fan of Loam as well so um, in fact just should be receiving something in the mail soon 
from Loam. So uh, thank you for just being community. Thank you for creating this space for all of us. Thank you for the thoughtful questions. And um, I'm, I'm just so grateful that we have more media and more spaces like this. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Loam Listen. Again, I'm your host, Amiria Freeman, and this episode was edited by Isaac Selk with music provided by Isaac Selk. If you liked what you heard, please rate this episode, maybe leave a comment, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss more yummy content. Also, share this episode with someone you love and maybe explore other episodes you haven't heard just yet. Until next time.